My name is Andy, and while the D's used their get-out-of-jail-free card on the Gold Coast, my heart must have stopped about a dozen times in the last few frantic minutes. And when the final siren finally sounded, I pocketed the four points and breathed a sigh of relief as I made out like a bandit from Heritage Bank Stadium. George is still on the run somewhere in Europe, so once again, I'm joined solo tonight with Bim Man to dissect the ugly win against the Suns as we divvy up the loot from our plunder on the Gold Coast. Good evening, Bin Man. Ahoy, matey. <laughs> good evening, Andy, and uh, good evening, Demon Landers. Good evening, George, in Italy, if you're happening to listen to it. And uh, it's really curious how people see footy games differently. And, um, uh, you know, I was actually really interested to see your perspective on that. And obviously, we'll get into it tonight, given the fact you were there, because uh, I don't know what, where's this narrative coming from that we were lucky? I mean, I just don't, I, I will get into it, I, I know, but I just, I'm flummoxed by some of the commentary on Demon Land and some of the stuff I've heard in the media and somewhat flummoxed as well by your opening. I mean, we didn't steal anything. We, <laughs> you know, they never had the lead at any point in that game of football, not once. They, except for the first 30 seconds when they scored a point. After that, you know, they, we kicked more points, we had more scoring shots than them. So I just don't understand the we were lucky narrative at all. I don't know. Maybe I just felt that um, maybe I underestimated them as a as a team, and I know they're a good up and coming team. But I, I, I may, maybe I just expected more from us, and the fact that we had got up a few times, and I thought we were going to run away with it, and we just let them come back in. It well, not let them, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll get into it uh, uh, shortly. Um, yeah. So my take as a general comment was that I think it was just a fantastic win, a fantastic game to watch. If you were neutral, it would have been an awesome game to watch. Um, it wasn't for me. It wasn't one of those games where we played poorly and got away with the win and blah blah blah. I, know, I disagree. It, I think we did play a little bit poorly at times. Um, well, I mean, we'll get into it a little yeah. bit, but you know, I just, it's interesting. I just think that the way that game was commented on the commentary, and that's why I was curious because you went, um, is that I really think it's influenced people's thinking about it. This, yeah, yeah, Suns, uh, you know, I thought the Suns were awesome. I thought they played fantastic. I thought we played well. Of course, you know, there were some players that were down, and um, but, you know, as we'll get into, that was our third game in 12 days, oh, yeah. three games of AFL footy in 12 days. Yep. And we've travelled north and we've got the four points. It's a super, super important win. It means that we go into next week um, against the, you know, heavy favourites to beat the Hawks and we, then we go to um, Port Adelaide 7-2. Um, you know, that, a huge, huge win. And, yeah, I think, you know, we played fantastic and they were fantastic. I mean, I said last week on the podcast that it was a concern for me and I wouldn't be surprised if we lost. So, 
you know, to, to leave Queensland with four points. I know Goody's thrilled just from his post-match um, comments. I've heard Chaplin's comments. They're thrilled, super proud of the players, and, and so am I. Uh, and I'm happy to, <laughs> too, I guess. Um, well, let's uh, each week... We ask our listeners to give us a five-star review, leave a comment on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast from. And as we do every week, we give those people a shout-out as we read their reviews on the show. Witch's Hat says, easily the best D's podcast going around. Thank you, Witch's Hat. Rhino88 says, great podcast. Love the in-depth analysis you guys bring each week. Don't always agree with every point the guys make, but really appreciate the effort you put in to make this must-listen pod for all demon lovers. Thank you, Rhino88. Very kind of you as to your point. Uh, about not always agreeing uh, with us. It's perfectly fine. Um, we by no means consider ourselves experts. Every fan's going to see the game differently. The podcast and Demonland provide, you know, a venue for fans uh, to express their opinions. We're not always going to agree, and I guess it would be pretty boring if we all did. Uh, Demonland, after all, is a former forum for all Demons fans. So, um Good Loden says, oh, I wonder if that, Good Loden, I wonder if that's a, a reference to you, Bin Man, uh, says, uh, awesome podcast. I'm so grateful of the time and effort to put into the podcast. It makes me proud to be a member of a community with fans such as these. If any of the boys come up to Brisbane, I'd happily buy them a steak. Highly recommend. Um, thank you, Good Loden. Uh, I was just up in Brisbane in round two and last year in round 23. So by my reckoning, you owe me two steaks. I'm <laughs> just kidding. But, you know, if I ever meet any Demonlanders, always happy to shout a beer. The best thing, though, that demon that listeners to the podcast can do for us is spread the word by telling other Demon fans uh, about us and leave a five-star review. So please take a moment now, pause the show, go and write that five-star review for us to read out next week. The more reviews, the more the algorithm uh, does its magic and we get more fans listening to the show. Always mention Apple Podcasts. And then say, like, or wherever you get your podcasts from. But to tell you the truth, I only have an iPhone and Apple Podcasts. I don't know what other apps are out there on Androids or other phones. I'm not sure what other apps there are. And I'm not even sure whether um, whether they have a review system. So if you're using another app and you've left us a review for, for us, please screenshot it, email it to demonland at demonland.com with the subject podcast review. I'll happily read it on the show. In fact, the other day I just realised that uh, you can comment on each episode on Spotify and some lo loyal listeners have left comments that way. Mary and Julian say, fantastic show, always great analysis and terrific insights. Thank you, Mary or Julian or both if it's a family affair. Mikey says, hi, it's Mike. I like this podcast. Great. Short to the point. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Uh, Noah says, uh, the podcast is the best in the business for analysing Melbourne Demons game each games each week. They dissect the games as well as make it interesting. Thank you, Noah. No wonder if that's our regular voicemail mailer, Noah from Bentley. And Noah from Bentley, you did leave two voice messages for us this week, but unfortunately you were outside. It was extremely windy. There was a lot of traffic noise and I could barely make out what you said. So just for anyone that's leaving a voicemail, make sure you're inside in a nice, quiet environment and uh, leave your message that way. If you want to chat with other D's fans uh, and you've never been to our forum, head over to demonland.com, sign up and you can chat with other D's fans. It's completely free. If you'd like to join us on the air tonight to talk about any of the topics we're going to talk about, please give us a call on 0390163666, I'll answer, I'll put you on mute, then bring you on when we can. During the week, you can call that number, leave us a message, we'll play the voicemail on the show. If you're listening now live, uh, join us in the chat room by simply heading over to demonland.com slash podcast. We're live every Monday 
at 8.30pm. If you've downloaded this podcast and want to listen to us live, then please join us on Mondays at 8.30pm at um, demonland.com. Dissecting the round's match from the depths of the game that was, it's over to Andy, Binman and George with the match wrap-up. Just Andy and Binman tonight. Um, this was the Demons' fourth interstate clash in eight games this season. And if you exclude the gather round, that, that is three interstate matches for the year. No other Victorian team has had to travel that much this early in this season. Carlton, Collingwood, Essendon, Hawthorne, North and Bulldogs have all played two interstate games, Richmond and Geelong one, and St Kilda zero travel outside of Victoria in eight matches excluding the gather round. And you add to that that, as B-Man said, this was our third match in 12 days since Anzac Eve. Um, And I guess you have to factor all of that in when you're analysing this particular match. And 20 minutes into the game against the Suns, the Demons appeared to be in total control of the match. We weren't dominating in the early clearances, but we were doing the hard running. We were hitting up targets and our forwards were proving to be a handful for the Suns' defence as we got to an early 19-point lead. However, as would be the tale of the day, every time the Ds got a bit of breathing space, the Suns would claw their way back level. The Suns' mids were not going to be bullied and they were going to fight the game out to the bitter end. In the ruck, Jared Witts matched Witts with uh, our twin towers, Gorn and Grundy, ending up all square in the hitouts with 37 each. Yet it was at ground level that the Suns gained the ascendancy, winning the clearances 42 to 6 and beating the Ds at their own contested ball game 149 to 122. And that was without their superstar, Tuke Miller. The very talented youngsters, Noah Anderson and Matt Rowell, had the measure of our hard-bodied, tough nuts, uh, Oliver and Petraka, Oliver, Petraka and Viney. Rowell only had the 18 possessions for the game, but 11 of those were clearances. The Ds got out to early leads in each quarter, only to be reeled in each time by the plucky Suns and scores were level at the final term, helped by three free kicks for goals in the third quarter alone. And I mentioned these frees not to whinge about the umpiring, but as a counterpoint to many commenters on social media and commentators on the telly as well, it seems, who claimed that the Suns were stiff in the last quarter. And it was in that last quarter that the Ds once again asserted themselves early, getting out to a 15-point lead, but the Suns weren't done yet. They just kept coming and coming. The usually reliable Bailey Fritch failed to ice the game, kicking three behinds in the last quarter as his 35-game goal-kicking streak came to an end. In a frenetic finish uh, that saw a few bad Melbourne defensive errors, the Suns almost tied the game, but Darcy McPherson missed his chances to level the scores with 20 seconds remaining. So B-Man doesn't agree, but we dodged a bullet. We banked the four points and we move on to the next and hopefully we take some learnings from this match. B-Man, has your heart recovered uh, from this near miss? (laughs) Well, maybe not such a near miss for you. Yeah, I mean, it was a fantastic game of footy and, I mean, that last couple of minutes was thrilling Footy that last quarter was fantastic. Um, you know, the whole match was close. We never got more than what? What was the furthest we got I in front of I think it might have been points. the 19 points early in the game when we are three yeah. goal, three something up. I mean, I get the feeling like everyone, you know, watching it, it felt like one of those games where, particularly in that last quarter, um, where we were going to get on top and, and roll over the top of them. Um, and, you know, all credit to them. Um, I really rate the Suns. Um, you know, I thought that their performance was was fantastic. Um, we'll get into it a little bit later, but... Um, you know, a lot was made of their contested ball numbers and the fact that we lost by 27, but I'll touch on that um, a, a bit later. Um, but too much was made of that in my perspective is, you know, we, we the game looked very much like ours in, in some respects and so we'll, we'll break that down as we get to the questions and things. But, you know, just from a, 
um, performance and of game of footy. I thought it was a fantastic game of footy. It was intense. It was fierce. Um, you know, they gave no quarter at all. Uh, they worked super hard, um, you know, all, all through their midfield. Their defence was strong. Um, you know, I thought they were well coached. It, it, it was a great to get a victory out of it. Um, you know, dodge a bullet in the end, well... We still, even if you kick that goal, we're still 15 seconds when it goes back to the centre. You only need to score. We've got the best midfield in the AFL, even though we got touched up a little bit on the night. So, you know, this game wasn't even necessarily, you know, the worst really that was likely to happen was a draw. Um, so, you know, from that kick, 14 seconds left, still either side could have won from that point. Um, you know, I, I think a big factor... Um, to be honest, was the break, um, and I know we'll touch on this, but was the force break from when um, Ballard went down. Mm. That was five or six minutes the game was stopped. We definitely had the momentum. We were 15 points up. We'd missed a couple of shots. We were looking like we were running on top of the, the ground much better than them. Mm. Um, and I reckon that that, that was a huge um change in the in the feeling of the game because essentially you know five six minute break they could get you know refuel completely and that made that last quarter essentially a 20 minute quarter um instead of a 30 minute quarter um and so we lost our um, momentum but we also lost our relative fitness advantage we have over them um you know that that i think we have over them so um, you know, it worked really worked in their favour um, that break, I reckon. Um, and that last twenty minutes was was a you know it was a ding dong battle. Um, great to watch, um, and you know, I'm thrilled that we ended up with four points. Some of the numbers are spooky. Some can't be explained by conventional means, but that won't stop the boys from trying. Coming up now, it's the Demon Land Stats File. All right, big man, take it away. I'm not even sure what you're talking about tonight, so <laughs> take it away. So, you're going to have to bear with me now, Andy, and so thanks so much for getting these clips. Um, I've talked about a number of times um, this season so far, um, my sense and my theory, I guess, that um, the game is fitness levels is becoming critical um, and and an absolutely determining factor in a um, team's chance of success. Um, and, um, you know, I, I really think that Burgess has got a lot to do with this, is that the game has changed um pretty significantly, I think, on the back of the work Burgess has done. Um, we had a, a huge advantage in 21 um, and other teams have now um, minimised that advantage because you've got some very fit teams out there. So, um, you know, in terms of the stats, I'm trying to get a handle. We talked about this last week. What what sort of stats would tell us, um, give us some sort of insight into relative fitness, can, you know, from one team to another? Um, so we've got a couple of clips. This first clip is um, Sanderson talking about the um, topic of fitness as it relates to he's talking about Collingwood um, it is incredibly difficult at the moment to find any sort of shows to get the clips from if it's not about Collingwood so um, <laughs> forgive me but this the the clip I think is very applicable um, to Melbourne and he does touch on Melbourne a little bit um, and we'll throw back to me and then um, uh, another audio clip of Hoyne from um, uh, Champion Data talking about what stats are out there um, available that's you know gives some sort of sense of fitness um, and you know a bit of a hobby horse of mine but we'll touch on that so if you could throw that first one Andy that'd be great 
But what Collingwood are doing better than anyone at the moment, Jaron, is under fatigue and under exhaustion, they are able to execute. Um, part of that is they have to be the fittest side. They have to because they they are playing 120 minutes of footy every week. A lot of other clubs against Collingwood are playing 100 minutes of footy. So don't underestimate how fit this team must be. And you look at a player like Nick Dacos, and we talk about him every week, but it seems like he speeds up the longer the game goes. He gets faster almost, but it's not that. It's just he's so fit that as the game, as players are running slower under exhaustion and fatigue, he's running the same speed. And I think that whole Collingwood squad's a bit like that. They're able to – it's not that they're running faster when the game's up for grabs. It's just they're sustaining that level of fitness over four quarters. They're playing 120 minutes of footy. Um, And that's the message for John Longmire this week is, boys, let's not play 100 minutes. Let's play 120. So – but can they do it? Can physically you match Collingwood for four quarters? I know it's a long season and the finals are still a long way away, but – um, we saw this with Melbourne a few years ago when they won their premiership. You couldn't outwork them. And I, I would say that to a team. I would say that to every team I've coached. We've got to be fitter when it really matters in the fourth quarter. But you can't say that if you're not. Yep. <laughs> so, um, but Collingwood are. Collingwood are the fittest side in the competition at the moment. Melbourne were two years ago and you couldn't get near them in fourth quarters. But we're seeing that at the moment with Collingwood. So you've got to form a game plan that you can not only – match them, but you can somehow find a way to stop that run when it really matters. Thanks, Andy. So, uh, like, for me, that sort of in a nutshell, that fitness um, advantage that we had in uh, 21 was huge for us. But what's important from a game plan perspective, it's not just fitness, is the game plan is built around that fitness and that level of fitness and that ability to keep running. So that wave running that everyone talks about for Collingwood, Melbourne do that too you need incredible fitness of all 22 players because, you know, the wave running involves three, four, five players. Collingwood push up really high up the ground and have to work really hard back. So their defenders also have to be elite runners in order to be able to get back and beat the ball back. We, we set our de- defence a bit deeper. Um, so, you know, we had a big advantage in 21 over the rest of the competition. Geelong absolutely went to town on that. And that was the thing last year. So Geelong... Had, Scott basically said we need to copy their program and they did copy their program our program they were the fittest side come um, finals and and you could see uh, the outcome of that winning the flag Collingwood really um, you know obviously pushed them as well um, so I, I think this season it's interesting I think Melbourne Brisbane um, Collingwood and Melbourne are the four fittest sides and we're also the four best sides by some margin um, it, what he just said about the uh, fitness advantage of Collingwood over every other team or most teams I'm not sure that um, Selwyn Griffith would would I'd love to ask him whether he thinks Collingwood are fitter but let's take Sando at you know he's ranking that they're fitter than us Um, but that's how that game against Sydney the Collingwood Sydney game um, actually you know played out didn't it is that they just couldn't go with them in that fourth quarter Um, so I think Burgess is really you know he he drove that running and that power and Selwyn Griffith and others obviously um, have taken that on Geelong, 
Um, I had a friend, we were talking about their their drop-off in the first two or three seasons, um, and uh, he suggested that, you know, potentially on the, you know, this year I'm not going to talk about loading much. Let's just focus on the fitness, how how they get there is up to the clubs. But the... um, Geelong in those first two or three games of the season were clearly not fit, uh, and he hypothesised is that perhaps they pushed their their heavy period of um, of training um, into the season um, to be as fresh as possible. For instance, for their unfurling of the flag, and um, what was interesting of the game, and I forget who they were playing, um, but Joe Watson Watson mentioned um, in that game when they broke their losing streak um, how much fitter and faster and over the that you know, on top of the ground that they were clearly running, and he wondered the same thing, which is the first time I've heard a commentator talk about that. Um, you know that that aspect of fitness, and they've been amazing since they've rolled over teams. Essendon went with them, who I also think are um, um, a really fit side. So. For me, fitness is huge, but then how do we get data on on how do we know? Um, so I said last week, for me, the you know from what's out there publicly available, um, at last quarters is um, should be a good indication. Now Sanderson was just talking about how brilliant Collingwood are in last quarters, um, so I think it's really important to note if you're thinking about trying to work out where Melbourne might be pegged against. Um, um, uh, the pies is we've yet to lose a um, last quarter so far. So you know what we're at, we're um, round eight and we've won eight last quarters. So you know that that's pretty good evidence um, for me that you know we're in pretty good shape. The club are talking about that. They've made a real point about those final quarters, um, and you can see when Melbourne. Um, can't run the game out, then, you know, our game plan just doesn't work. Um, Collingwood's game plan won't work either if their fitness drops off. So it's not just fitness, it's keeping it through the season. So the question I have last week and um, is what sort of data that we can get. Um, so uh, if you can play this next clip, that hopefully it answers it in a roundabout way. Before we get to your last talking point, Binman wants to know, what's the best data to get a handle on the relative fitness of teams? I am firmly of the belief that fitness is now one of the top three most important factors in being ready to go to win a flag. Have you thought about that? Yeah, we do. And um, and the obvious answer is the GPS-related um, data that we- um, Which that, you don't we, release. We have, but we are not allowed to release under, um, under current agreements. Um, at the moment, we're only allowed to celebrate- Players, Kane, we can, you can imagine what can you, you could actually can do. Can you give us a hint on, is it, is it reflective they, of the ladder position? Oh, yeah. I, I, to be honest, I, I actually wouldn't have a clue. I don't okay. look at it because I can't I can't use it, so I just I just don't worry about it. But um, yeah. Yeah. Would it would almost be self-evident that that's the case. So, I would have thought Gordon, so. I would have yeah. thought you've got talent, you've got system, and you've got, uh, you've got physical attributes, injuries, and fitness. Mm. But nevertheless, we'll uh, we'll some we'll send somebody in to uh, <laughs> steal that data from you. And whilst you're uh, going hot, be uh, mad. Three things about that. One, you didn't get permission to go on uh, from me to go on to another <laughs> show, even if it is by text form. Uh, two, it, it's obviously a privacy thing. I w- is that why they can't release the the uh, GPS data? 
Is that a privacy no, no, thing no, for the no, players? No, because or they, clubs the pay a fortune for it oh, okay. and they don't want to release oh, it. okay. They don't and want other Actually, teams. what I meant to ask was, yeah. and I checked my text, but I didn't. I meant to ask what publicly available data. That's what I wanted to know. I know that the GPS data um, is locked up. Um, having said that, you can tell from the questions at the end, it's a huge frustration. It just drives me bananas that the AFL allow champion data to lock this data up. AFL are, a, um, as I understand, I might be wrong on this, but my understanding is AFL was a share holder in um, um, champion data uh, and that data that um, you know they cherry pick it and give some to the Herald Sun and to Fox and that's where that pressure gauge thing is and to the clubs obviously the GBS data I mean it won't be privacy it'll be simply because the clubs won't want any other clubs to know their numbers yeah. um, so you know but it should be publicly available because you can imagine you know how that would change people's engagement with information um, you know the way they dole out the bits and, and, and I'll get to this because it drives me nuts. The way they dole out the data and the stats skews people's thinking about the game. And so, for instance, the question about um, the clearance numbers and their contested ball, in particular the contested ball, them the Suns winning by 27, people have drawn assumptions on that that are incorrect and they keep banging on about it. And the assumption that many seems to be drawing, including, you know, David King and the commentators, is that that's indicative of, of they were much harder at it um, all night. Um, but the data doesn't support that. It does for that particular stat, it does. Um, but we, the pressure gauge, um, which, by the way, with the I, I, I mentioned last week that I didn't think the club looked at that during the game. Sanderson, in that same clip, talked about the use of the pressure and the importance of it and said that they show the players live during the game where where everyone is and the team is um and he said it's twos them um is the like elite level and i think you know on television they make it that 200 um but he said it's two and then 1.8 is the standard average um so just on that pressure for instance that pressure rating for this game um First quarter, it was 186 to Suns 193. So their pressure was fantastic in that quarter. But, you know, we worked our way through it. From that point on, we had more pressure on that rating than um, them in the last three quarters. So 179 to 178, 179 to 166. In the fourth quarter, um, you know, indicating this is probably another good measure of relative fitness, it was 191 to the Ds, which is close to elite, um, to 172 with the Suns, who were going hard. No one I heard no one question their pressure in that last quarter. They were 19 pressure points um, below us um, on that ranking. So it was 184 to 177 um, for the game. Um, and then the other pressure, you know, just looking at clearance, uh, sorry, um, um, yeah, sorry, clearances, of course, that, you know, that's a key stat for us. But our other two stats are 50 is time in forward half, as I mentioned last week, and we were 56-44 time in forward half. 56% of the time it was in our forward half, and that is exactly how a Melbourne game um, wants to, how good he wants a Melbourne game to look. And we were plus 16 in inside 50s. Um, so that tells me a lot was working in terms of what a Melbourne um, uh, game would um, look like. Um, and the other one, so in, in, in combination with pressure um, data, is our turnover stats. Um, we, we scored nearly seven goals more than them on turnover. And turnover is a purely a function of pressure. So if you combine our pressure data, so we were we applied more pressure than them on that um, on that rank, that uh, set of um, numbers, uh, and we smashed them in turnover. That suggests to me that our work rate and effort was really, really good. 
good. And so the narrative that somehow, you know, we were off and we didn't work hard and it's just not supported by the, the, the data. And that's what drives me nuts about the way, for instance, David King cherry picks the information is that one data points of not much value. It's the same thing with clearances. You, you know, you need to look at all of the, the the data that tells a team's pressure. They've got a pressure gauge. He didn't even mention it on the um, both on any of the shows that I've heard him talk. Um, and you've got the the turnovers. Turnovers. Some might happen just through pure clangers, but almost always they're because of a team's pressure. So we killed them on turnover. We got the ball inside fifty. They're two of our three. Um, um, our meters gains were about level. So you know credit to the Suns, but we've still um, we're a little bit ahead um, you know so I just don't think the you know clearance numbers by themselves gives a good sort of sense of our pressure for the game um, the guy from champion data sort of hinted that he doesn't even look at those stats because they can't use it, but I reckon he 100% <laughs> looks at those stats. Um, well, hey, look at the pressure ones. Yeah. I mean, the GPS numbers might not be of much interest to many because you'd have to work through it all and see what the... I mean, there is some... It's interesting he didn't mention this, but the tracking data I've tried to look at, I, I talked about that a few weeks ago, is the, you know, whether that tracking, the GPS, the Telstra tracker on the uh, AFL app, um, it does give an indication of um, distances run um, and who run them but I, I'm I'm not sure how well it indicates things other than you know running capacity because you can only see the top five or, or whatever it is but yeah it, it, like it just drives me nuts that champion the AFL allow champion data to lock it up I just think if they let all of the data out there how much more engagement would there be by fans trying to you know trying to work it out rather than looking it through the the sort of myopic lens of David King um, if that Getting that data out into other clubs is would affect us as a team in a way. Would you not want that data to get out there, or would you selfishly like wow. to uh, pour well, through that data? I mean, I don't know. I'd have to. I'd, I'm obviously no expert. It'd be something I'd love to ask Ellen Griffith. Is you know how useful would the GPS data? But I'm sure that they could generalise it in a way that could give some. You know, mm. they wouldn't. They don't. They don't need to drill down on the player level. That's what other clubs would be interested in. I would have thought. Mm. But they could surely give the global GPS numbers. This is how far that team run. This is the sort of, you know, that thing that I talked about. Tom McDonald was talking about with Nibbler and Spargo. That idea of them right. They're running at striding pace. You know, how many players running at that 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 sort of information um, would be you know really helpful to understand how fit a team is and then it would help explain for instance why a team like Carlton have chipped around there's a good chance that they've chipped around because their numbers tell them they're not fit enough to go with a team like Collingwood mm. so what do you do it's what clubs did to us um, last year is they weren't fit enough to go with us uh, except for Collingwood and Geelong and so when they came up to us if they if they allowed the game to get into into a running game um we'd just roll over the top of them. So they slowed it down and, you know, that's what Sydney, uh, not so much Sydney, sorry, that's what Carlton have been trying to do and it tells me that they're probably not as fit as they um, um, want to be and their GPS data will tell them that. And so you know, I can see why the clubs wouldn't want to share their information but I'm sure you could do it in a way that, you know, that at least gave you some sense of fit relative fitness of the teams. Um, you know, like Jared Healy just asked, you know, give us a clue. What are they top four? And I'll bet you any money. It's Collingwood, Melbourne, Geelong and Brisbane. They're the four fittest teams. Did you want to play that third clip? Uh, no, later, uh, you know, if it comes up. But, okay. yeah, it's not sort of specific to this. But... All right. We've all got opinions and we've all got our own thoughts, but we like to get another take on it. 
You can get your questions and say through on 0390163666 and via demonland.com. It's time to hear from you with your listener questions on the Demonland podcast. Each week we ask Demonlanders to post their questions and comments in uh, that week's uh, podcast thread on demonland.com and we always read them out and answer them on the show. If you're not a member of Demonland and you just listen to the podcast, then what are you waiting for? Head on over to demonland.com, sign up and join in on the conversations. In addition to asking questions for the podcast, there are a plethora of other conversations about all things D's related. If you really want to just ask a question but aren't on Demonland, then shoot us an email at demonland at demonland.com with the subject question for the podcast. You can also leave us a voicemail at 0390163666, 0390163666. And don't worry, nobody answers, so you don't have to talk to a human. If you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or on Instagram, uh, just slide into our DMs, ask a question there. We'll keep your real name anonymous if you wish. Mandy Lorian says, I just wanted to give you a shout out for the wonderful and insightful interview you conducted with Stephen May during the week. Stephen was very forthcoming and honest in his answers. Kudos to all involved in getting him on the podcast. Love your work. And thank you for that uh, feedback, Mandy Lorian. Uh, it was so good to have a chat with um, Stephen, who is one of Demoland's sponsored players this season, along with Brody Grundy. And if you haven't already listened to the interview, be sure to check it out. It should be the podcast before the one you're currently listening to right now. Uh, Stephen was a fantastic interview. He gives you so much. Uh, some great insights about his journey from Darwin uh, to the to Melbourne, to the Gold Coast and back to Melbourne, earning a captaincy to All-Australians and a premiership along the way. Uh, it was also great to get his thoughts on some of our up-and-coming players. Um, so do yourself a favour and uh, go have a listen after this podcast. Um, did you get a chance to listen, B-Man? I did. It was a fantastic, fantastic interview and I really enjoyed it. And um, he's an interesting fellow, isn't he? He's so um, honest and he's, um, you know, his assessment of, of players is really interesting. He doesn't, you know, it's pretty clear. You get a pretty clear sense, don't you, of, yeah. his, um, of where he thinks his teammates are at. So. Um, I thought it was a fantastic uh, interview, really interesting. It you know, made me laugh to think of Batman and Robin um, driving around town in his in a Monaro or whatever he drives because I heard he's a bit of a, um, a rev head, him and Lever. Yeah, so so he, Lever's in the car next to him. So when, uh, when we started the uh, – when I started the call with him, he said, oh, hope you don't mind I'm just getting in the car. I think they were coming home from Casey uh, with Jake Lever. And I said, yeah, sure, <laughs> happy, to, uh, happy to have him along for the ride. And, uh, yeah, the whole time I couldn't help sort of imagining uh, Jake Lever next to him and uh, I did say, look, I'll take out all the questions I've got about Jake Lever yeah. uh, in there. So, uh, no, they, they, that was great. I thought it was, what I was really interested in was his discussion of his time up at um, the Suns in that period. And, you know, he was young when he was made captain, wasn't he? Um, and thrown into it in the deep end, really. Um, you know, it, 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 I thought that was a really interesting part of his story. Um, and, you know, his ability to sort of... It was interesting him talking about being a forward. That was he yeah. was a forward as a junior, and I'd I'd forgotten about that. But yeah. um, you know, I remember a game against Melbourne. He went, was kicked goals against us, or perhaps I'm imagining that. But um, he he played forward for the Suns, didn't he? So it wasn't always defence. Um, and you know, I thought it was funny that he he was you know his comments about not getting a chance to be swung forward. Uh, we have a caller joining us. Uh, caller, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, are you driving at the moment? I am, yes. Sorry, Andy. 
That's all right. Who am I talking to? Uh, it's Red League 23. How are you going, boys? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, how are you? Not too bad, thanks. Not too bad. Uh, have I called at a, at a good time or yeah. have I interrupted at all? No, no, go for it. Uh, get your, I'll get your question out and then I'll, uh, I'll put it down onto mute. You'll still be able to hear it just so I get the, uh, the uh, car noise out of the way. So take it away. Fantastic. Um, yeah, just a quick one, lads. I just wanted to um, give a huge shout, a shout out to, uh, to Jack Viney. Um, I, I reckon he's been, he's been super this year and he plays such an integral part for the team. Um, unheralded a lot of the time, I think. I mean, obviously, he got uh, the award a couple of weeks back in the, um, the Anzac Eve game, which, which uh, was much deserved. I just think that um, we've had a couple of couple of games this year where um, we've, it's been really competitive and really tough and really hard. And in those games, he's really stood out to me, Jack. You know, um, he, he, he just throws his weight around and, and he plays such a huge part physically in the team and he's just such a bit, a bit of a bit of a barometer for us so I just wanted to give Jack a bit of a shout out he probably doesn't get the plaudits obviously externally but we, we love him internally obviously but I think he plays such a huge factor especially when we're playing these tough games such as the weekend I mean there were there were numerous you know uh, occasions over the weekend where he just had no regard for himself at all and he just he's so selfless I mean even that mark in the last place that you know to sort of back back and um, he would have felt a lot of heat coming from, um, you know, the opposing forwards. But he just, at no point did he ever, you know, hesitate. And he, and he stood himself in the hole and he took that grab, you know. So I think he's just a, such a huge barometer for us, especially when the going gets tough. Absolutely. Well, I'll put you down onto mute. Thank you for the call. Uh, appreciate it, mate. Uh, B-Man, your thoughts on uh, the vice-captain, Jack Viney? I think um, that he's that call, the caller, um, Red Legs 23, was it? Uh, yes. Just, uh, Red Legs, it was absolutely spot on. And, you know, I, I continue, it sounds like I'm in a bit of a grumpy mood tonight, but that's not the case. I continue to get amazed by, um, um, you know, how underrated a player he is. Um, there was one, you know, quite funny comment from the commentators who had a, a, a just a nightmare, I thought, um, but calling him in the fifth beetle, um, which sums him up a little bit. Um, you know, he was awesome in that game and I, I think he was critical in that last 20 minutes. As I said, I, I think the game really, you know, basically it was sort of a start. The, the game started again after that break and I thought he was uh, he was a huge factor in that last quarter. I love the fact his kicking seems to have been improved. Um, he uses the ball really well um, on that pressure rating um, numbers. So the other, um, and thanks for Willow Ratings has, has got this again this week for the in the stats file thread that's on um, Demon Land, but he um, um, the most pressure points in in our team um, he topped that charts with sixty five. I'm not quite sure how that they calculate that for individual players, but um, sixty five Sparrow was next on sixty two Pickett. Oliver, Neil Bullen, Petraka, Gorn and Van Rowan, but um, Viney on top of the pressure um, um, stats. And um, the other thing, just while I think of it, is he was a tackling beast in this game. Um, it was a high-pressure, heavy tackle game. Uh, and just another another sort of data point or, or stat that supports 
my contention that in fact our pressure and effort was was excellent um, was that we were plus twenty two in tackles. Um, you know, so for the team, you know, we it wasn't as if we were behind and chasing them all game. Plus twenty two um, tackles is a big big number, um, and was a big factor um, led by Jack, and it was a big factor um, I think in our in our win and certainly scores from turnover, which is what we really value. Um, and just on scores from turnover, a really interesting interesting stat that uh, Hoyne said on yesterday's um, uh, thing that he does on SEN was that you're twice as likely to score from a turnover as you are from a clearance, um, which I thought is fascinating because everyone goes to clearances. Everyone talks about clearances being such a key metric. Um, you're twice, if you turn it over, you're twice as likely to score a goal um, as you are from a clearance, which is you know, explains to a degree, you know, if you're looking at analytics, why we put such a huge emphasis on um, scoring from turnover and not as much of an emphasis from scoring on clearances. Well, it sort of makes sense because from clearances, everyone's set up, they've usually got an opponent and turnovers are usually catch out um, oppositions off guard. Um, so yeah. I can understand why that happens, yes. Well, uh, he's, I, I hadn't quite worked this through, but he was saying, Hoyne was saying that, you know, he's a reason why was from turnovers you've got, um, you, you've got, uh, no, I'm going to misrepresent what he said. <laughs> and so, um, but, you know, he said the data shows that you're twice as likely. You get two chances at it is what he was saying and I couldn't quite work out what he meant by that. So, All right, I'll do your research but, yeah. next time, big man. Uh, <laughs> thank you, uh, Redlegs23. Uh, really appreciate the call. Um Lazy uh, says, uh, was this a poor performance for Melbourne? And I'm sure you'll have uh, thoughts on this, B-Man. Or did we simply run into a good team that put it all together and possibly even outplayed us on the night? I thought the Suns did a lot of things right. They have a lot of skill through the middle and when they had possession, it was not easy to get it off them. This was the best game I've seen Noah Anderson play. We weren't at our blistering best for four quarters and there were some below par performances, but I still see this as a good win early in the season away from home. I hope I'm not alone here. And, um, well, you know, I'll take a win any day. I was up on the Gold Coast for the match and um, I went away from the match relieved. Um, and, man, you're going to completely disagree with me, but my feeling was I felt like it was a loss. I didn't feel like it was a win. And maybe that's just me being selfish and wanting to sort of thrash teams. But uh, I thought we did play well in patches, uh, but I also thought we were outplayed in, in some of it. And, just, you know, despite their ladder position, Gold Coast, they're a very talented side. They're on the verge of threatening to get into the eight. They've been competitive in quite a few games this year, uh, but seemingly ran out of steam at the end in some of those, uh, certainly not in this one. Uh, they, they probably would have been very disappointed not to have uh, pinched that one uh, there. Um, Big man? Oh, absolutely. I mean... Like, you know, as I've said already, I think that our performance was massively underrated and as if Demon Land's anything to go by, by lots of Demons fans, certainly by Joe Public. I mean, I get you, I totally get the feeling because it felt like we were always on the edge from from my perspective mm. of getting away from them. Um, and so maybe there's a sense, oh, it's a bit disappointing that we didn't. But yeah, that's, that's my To be feeling, honest, yeah. it's disrespectful to the Suns. Yeah. I mean, they're yeah, an excellent team. It's what I said last week mean, is yeah. that our one word is clearances, so's theirs. So, you know, just because they won 
um, clearances. Um, uh, sorry, uncontested ball, I should say. Uh, you know, our one woods contested ball. It's core to our game. It's also core to their game. Um, but as I said before, time in the forward half and turnover are the other key elements for us. Um, and you know, pressure obviously that's a given. It's uh, and we beat them in pressure. We beat them in tackles. We beat them in time in forward half, and we beat them um, on turnover handsomely. We beat them by six or seven goals on turnover. Um, you know, they didn't really get that much more from clearances score score wise. And I think it was like fifteen points or something. We, we had a lot more inside fifties. Um, we had sixteen more inside fifties. Yeah. I mean, you know, so on all of the metrics other than clearances and, and um, contested ball, and we I th- were. I think that's where my disappointment comes in that we didn't win by more. But then, considering that's all that the stuff, they it's not disrespecting fantastic. them. I mean, they did play good, but we we had the chance to go even. To win what, by even we more. had the chance to win four points. We won four no, no, points. Well, I'll take I, that. I said I'll take the four points. Well, I mean, <laughs> I just, look, we travelled yet again. Third game. Yeah, I know. Days, and I said a really at the good start, team you, on their home deck in tricky conditions. All you know, it was clear that after half time that Jew played a big role. Um, they played out of their skin. Like if you read Demon Land beforehand, everyone was saying, Don't take this this um, team lightly, you know, as if we're just gonna go in there and roll over, you know, I'd be happy with a win. Some of those same posters then are jumping up and down about how well the Suns played. I mean, yes, they pushed us, yes, they beat at stoppages and clearances and ground ball, which for me is the real worry. I mean, no one's really talking about that, but they smashed us in ground ball. And for me, that's the biggest worry from that game um, because that's an area that we've struggled um, in, particularly down back. And yes. and they, yes, you know, yes. that they really exposed that a little bit. Um, um, but, you know, as I said before, let's not let a narrative take hold where we were lucky to win. We led for all but the first 30 seconds of the game. The scoreboard slightly flattered them as um, as they were more accurate than us and our scoring um, accuracy reverted to mean a bit. Um, you know, Despite them winning contested ball and clearances, perhaps more significantly clearances, we kept them to 85 points. Um, when was the last time, you know, we even won after conceding um, a differential of 27 contested possessions? I mean, that's a huge performance. So the defence held up, um, despite once again um, one of our senior def- um, defenders being a really laid out, with Hibbo being a laid out. I mean, we really missed his physicality, experience mm. and strength. And similarly, when Lever went out, so that's happened twice. He was a huge out. You know, it was on the, I don't know, it was an hour and a half before the game that was called and we replaced him with with someone who was outsized, proceeded to put him on Casbold um, in disco. He had 22 more tackles, as I said, plus 35 scoring from intercepts. Um, they're huge differentials in a game of footy and they're both key to us winning, which, as I said before, um, suggests our pressure was good and our effort was good. Um, despite them winning most of the key stats, as you said, um, you know, we kept them to 45 inside 50, smashing them in that stat by 16. That's huge, you know. Um, so, they're, you know, their pressure and contest work was off the charts and they were great, um, as good if not better than any team we've faced, I think, you know, this season. Rao and Anderson were brilliant. They were fantastic. Fantastic all game, but they're you know as they should be. They're both num- you know top five draft picks, aren't they? I mean, I know one Rao's two. one. Where did Anderson go? He was two, two or three, wasn't it? He was two, well, yeah. So Jackson, which was is three. yeah, which is an excellent ruck. Um, took it up to Max and Grundy all day. Um, you know they they'd been favourite to beat any team with that um, performance. So you know for us to get the four points after losing in a couple of our core stats um, is just a brilliant, brilliant result, and, and we should be proud. And you know if you talked about Jew, whether he, I'm not sure if you saw the presser, 
um, he was saying that, you know, his implication was that that was one of their best performances ever uh, and that David King on um, First Crack said it, he, in his view it was their best performance ever, full stop, you know, including, you know, even though they they lost the game. So, you know, we came up against a team that played super well um, and we beat them. Um, you mentioned the 85 points and um, I remember you saying something about uh, the D's needing to maybe adjust, you know, we <clears throat> averaged 65 points against us in 2021, 69, I think in 2022. And you said this year with a faster game style, we needed to sort of readjust that. And I asked Stephen May that and he sort of <laughs> poo-pooed that and said, no, you know, obviously Goody would prefer we didn't let any scores happen. So, um yeah. He didn't entirely poo-poo it. He just said, no, Goody would prefer we don't. <laughs> and it's a really interesting – and we'll probably talk maybe in the mid-season, but for me there's two philosophies that are, um, that are, are coming up, which is McRae's attack really sort of, you know uh, – risk allowing goals out the back and Melbourne still attacking, taking some elements of that really fast game plan that, you know, everyone has been led by Collingwood, you know, which in turn was a response to what we were doing. The only way to beat Melbourne in 21 and into 22 was with fast ball movement. We talked about it on the podcast and that's exactly what Collingwood done. They built a system to beat us. Um, and, um, you know, uh, the question will be whether our defensive, McRae is more attacking philosophically than Goodwin, uh, and the question will be, you know, will we be able, you know, which will prevail? Um, you know, historically defences prevail, but um, it's going to be the question going forward. Uh, Bigfoot says, uh, it's no secret that we have not had a settled back line this season with injuries to some key members at different times, May, Lever, Hibbo and Salo and, and Petty playing forward. We also seem to struggle once the ball hits the deck. Teams are finding it very easy to score against us in the chaos. Is this a symptom of not getting a good run at the same six or seven players or is the ball coming in too quick? I fear some of the stronger teams will destroy us. Um, and I guess he's right about us not being settled down back. Uh it has to be, has to be a factor. It's got to be a huge factor. And I think one of our biggest weaknesses, not just this year, but it's been for a while, is once the ball hits the deck. And in past years, it's been a big issue for us as our defensive set. It, it hasn't been a big issue for us in the past because our, our defence has always been able to set up well and intercept a slow ball coming in. That, that was a hallmark of our game. And the game's changed with the ball coming in quicker and perhaps we're getting exposed, as, as we've said. Um, and, B-Man, you've said that we have struggled since like Neville Jetta sort of left. Uh, uh, is this a concern for you, the ball, when the ball hits the deck? Well, that is. I mean, just back to sort of the question, I think that I mean, defensively, I think all teams um, are struggling this year defensively with the fast ball movement. Um, you know, the, the, it's the zone breaker, isn't it? Because if you can move it quickly enough into the four, into you know, your forward line and, you know, in terms of the D's defensive area, it just makes it so much more difficult to um, get that third man across and zone off and intercept mark um, and much more one-on-one -on -one contests. And, you know, you could see there was a really good example of, of that um, scenario with the kick that's um, set up. And I, and I forget who kicked it into um, uh, Casbolt, but, but the one where I think it was in, third, I'm pretty sure it was the third quarter where Casbolt was just way too strong for Disco and marked one-on-one. -on -one. Um, if you look at the replay of that mark, um, whoever um, was the player kicking inside 50 for the Suns was 
unpressured at the time. The ball, he was moving quickly and there was no time for Lever. Um, you know, Choi did a good, uh, Chol did a good job of, of sort of keeping him from it, but there was no third man into that contest. It was all one-on-one exposing um, Disco to, you know, one-on-one with Casbolt. Um, that's the challenge that we face in a nutshell that we didn't probably in 21, for instance, because you would have had Petty coming across. I think Petty's, we need Petty back there at the moment. You know, he, he's using him for a specific reason for a contest up forward, but ultimately he'll go back. Um, I think we really miss him. We, we missed Hibbo in this game. You know, there's no question what you're saying is correct around your change, um, you know, your change personnel and in and out, you know, it's going to have a factor. Um, I think what's interesting is Goody's designing a new sort of defensive system. How much of the old zone system can go forward? Um, we still will probably be a zone team. We are a zone team, um, you know, but also having to find new ways to when teams are trying to spread us. So they're not only getting the ball in quick, they're changing lanes to isolate Stephen May and Lever and to minimise the amount of times we can come across. But other teams are doing that, for instance, to Port Adelaide and trying to minimise Aaliyah's um, influence. And, you know, so it's all of the defences are struggling. The, you know, the, when the better teams beat us, who is the better teams? You know, Brisbane beat us, but we've got Collingwood and that will be a test. But we've, you know, we are the better team. So, you know, okay. it's like I don't think our defence will fear anyone. Radelaide asks, what did you make of Disco Turner's match? And I guess bowl reports and you said an hour and a half Hibbert pulls out uh, from the team very late uh, preparation wise it wouldn't have been the best uh, time to get a call up uh, what did you make of Disco Turner's uh, second match you said he was a bit <laughs> outmarked uh, outbodied um, yeah but by the bigger body but uh, that was a matchup thing I would say and well there were a few things I thought it was a bit of to be honest I thought it was a bit unusual they picked him I know I know that because he was replacing Hibbo so they, what, what would you have done? Uh, who would you have? Uh, well, I think, I mean, he was brilliant the previous yeah. week. So, you know, yeah. perhaps it was as simple as that is that he earned his selection and, you know, selection integrity says that, um, you know, he comes in as a defender. Um, so I, I actually see, you know, I think he's a, a real, real player. I really like him. But, you know, where I see him ending him up um, as a defender is a lever type uh, intercepting player who's, because he's neat, you know, he's, Got um, he's a really neat kick. He reads the ball well in flight. He's super competitive. He's you know as brave as all get out. Um, you know he's got good hands um, and he took a couple of good um, marks. Um, so you know I see ultimately. I, I I think I probably would have picked him if if that because you know they did try to stretch us with tools and there's a question about that um, where the teams are doing that. It's um, now I'll, uh, I'll just edit uh, Ross Millen uh, related questions. Are teams trying to stretch our back line by playing with extra height up forward? Uh, so I absolutely think they are, and that goes to the the you know fast ball movement means that you're more likely to expose Stephen May to a one on one and Lever to a one on one, and you know that you could see when Tomlin that's why he came out of the side I think because you know he, when he got exposed one on one. So I think yes is the answer. Essendon certainly did, um, and the Suns um, were looking to to do so too. Um, but, you know, I, I was a bit surprised. Ultimately, they did move him back when um, when Disco went off as the sub, but Lever went on to Casbolt. And I reckon they should have done that right from the get-go and have Lever, uh, sorry, um, Disco in Lever's role. Um, but, you know, um, I, I mean, I guess the numbers, Casbolt didn't kill us, but he was certainly too big and too strong um, for Disco. 
Red Jacket says, uh, we were beaten in the clearances, smashed in the contested possessions. I know you love hearing this, big man. Uh, yes, the Suns are an up-and-coming team and Raul and Anderson are high draft picks and uh, the next generation of elite midfielders. Is it worrying that they put on a clinic in front of our midfield stars? And I reckon a clinic. Uh, it might be a little bit harsh. Uh, yeah, and, well, and, 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 yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, that's right. Look, you're clear. <laughs> and that's part of the problem of of listening to the peanuts who commentate. <laughs> David King said not once but twice, and again he doubled up on first crack, that they humbled us. Humbled us? Give me a break. We won the game. And as I said before, it's not as if, you know, that that, that is a magic number. The contested ball isn't a magic number in of itself. How does – I can't believe no one commented on the fact that we won the day on that their, their pressure rating. Fox have got access to that data. It came up on the screen. Every quarter but the first quarter, we beat them on the pressure rating. We smashed them on the pressure rating in the last quarter. So, you know, David King, give me a break on the humbled thing. I say, and I'm not having a go at the, the question. It's just that I think that that's – that what is what frustrates me about what I said before about allowing a narrative to get hold and suddenly it becomes a fact. It's just the numbers do not support it. Uh, Ross Millen asks another question. It seems experimentation is continuing. Against the Suns, it appeared as though Max and Grundy spent time helping each other in marking contests more than usual. How do you expect this experimentation phase to continue? How long do you expect this experiment- experimentation phase to continue? And when will they settle the game plan down? And I did notice on one or two occasions that when Max was going for a mark, Grundy would bump uh, Max's opponent legally, I think, sort of in the side. Um, was this evident for you on TV? Did you notice anything uh, with Grundy protecting Max? Yeah, well, the, the commentators um, mentioned it a few times how rare it is for um, not just the two, the way they used Grundy and Max, and it was um, was them both being in the forward line at the same time. And I was trying to think whether that's new, but Maxi was out for a period of time, and I don't recall them. But it, you know, it looked like um, there were at least four or five times when both forwards were in, the, um, sorry, both rucks were in our forward line, um, and they showed some footage. Um, on um, I think first crack or maybe it was at halftime of, of that game of um, Grundy going flat out running ahead of the ball to get to the forward line to beat the ball there so that there were the two tall. So that that was actually quite interesting. And you're right, like on tw- twice um, they screened for each other um, and I thought it was fantastic to see. Um, uh, Chol was probably very unlucky not to be paid the mark, I thought, but uh, came off the pack off Max and um, Grundy roved it and snapped that yeah, goal was beautiful. Like his first goal and have a have a look if you see that all the goals the two goals that uh or the two marks that grundy took and then kick goals but did he kick two or three no two whatever he took marks. Two, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh look how happy max is uh that he took the mark he's got his arms up yeah. in the air yeah he was yeah. wrapped uh, uh, just, yeah. just on the experimental thing, I, I think the I think we are experimenting and much more than previous years. And and just a comment about that, I talked about the way if, with the fast ball movement, as I said last week, is that means that there will be more volatile results because you can get hurt on the rebound, just like Collingwood can get hurt on the rebound. Um, and, you know, it opens up to some anomalous um, results. In 21 and the first half of, of last season, um, you know, we could rely on our system and our relative fitness advantage over everyone but, you know, Collingwood and Sydney probably um, and, and, and Geelong. Um, 
and at the, at the end of the season when we ran ran out of puff. But we can't anymore because, one, our system is in flux a little bit because we are experimenting and we are trying different things. And and I think Goody's leaning into that aspect. And, you know, again, as we've talked about, Goody has been experimental and, and willing to try things ever since he began being a senior coach, um, you know, as we... An example being that you know the the diamond shape off the halfback flank, for instance, in two thousand sixteen, seventeen, or seventeen. Um, so yeah, he really is experimenting both up forward, and and I think he's experimenting with our defensive system to see what's the best way to protect against that ball coming you know down quickly, and and how to um, you know how to mitigate. Um, when they are, when they do get the ball quickly into our forward line, and you know we haven't been able to, to get across, or there's lots of ones on ones. So, um, so that the if this clip, the other third clip that I asked you to do, and it would be yep. probably a good spot now for for that because Hoyne talks about that very aspect. Before we get into that, just just the actual overall ob, um, observation um, of the round so far, and um, if we're yeah, you know, I, I think. You know, you don't want to be perfect at round seven. And I think if you go back over the last four or five years, you know, aside from Melbourne in 21, Mm -hmm. that sort of win-loss record from a Geelong perspective last year, from a Richmond perspective, from a Hawthorne perspective, you know, at their best was always around about that four wins out of of seven, maybe a five out out of seven, um, if you like, to start the year. You know, we saw Melbourne last year. They were flying really early, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the season. We saw the dogs flying in 2021 um you know, we, you know we saw port flying in 20 we saw geelong flying in 19 we saw richmond flying in 18 but i think now if i look across the competition there's no one at the moment who is perfect and we haven't said that about a team at round seven for for quite a while so i just wonder whether or not the competition is is actually looking at what those premiers have done recently and actually experimenting a little bit, changing yep. a few things up. We've seen that with Melbourne. We're seeing that through Collingwood at the moment. We're seeing that through Geelong. Brisbane changed up a few different personnel changes. It's a long year. You don't want to be perfect. And at the moment, there is no one who is perfect. Except they think Collingwood's perfect, but I guess their experimentation's coming through necessity with uh, a few injuries and stuff. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, though, you know... I'm one out, probably not one out here, but you know, I, my um, my football resolution this year was not to underestimate teams, um, and um, so you know, I'm guilty of that with Collingwood. Um, but you know, I think that Sanders is right; they're incredibly fit. They're they're really switched on. Um, you know, they're they're a team that's got a good culture, well coached. Um, but I think they've got a defensive weakness. Uh, they push up so high up the ground that we're uniquely positioned to exploit it. Um, but also, I'd point out that, geez, people, you know, speaking of numbers, um, you know, I don't. That we're we're second on the ladder at the moment. We've got the highest percentage of any team in the competition, and eight. What are we? Eight rounds in is more than enough data to you know to make some assumptions and to you know to do some proper assessment of where we're at what's interesting about if you compare melbourne and um the pies is we've had a very very similar um draw so far Uh, we've played two or three of the same teams but in terms of difficulty it's almost identical in terms of how hard Um, they've won one more game than us um but we are 17 percent in front of them everyone's talking about how rampant and ultra high scoring them are they've won one more game than us with a very similar draw, we're seventeen percent 
more in our percentage. I mean, so even that narrative for me is a, a media thing that everyone's buying into. You know, everyone loves them, um, but we're travelling as well, if not better than them at the moment. That's, you know, apart from the fact they're on top of the ladder, they've won more one one more win um you know the other numbers are looking pretty good in our favor mandalorian says uh, i thought our forward line was in a bit of a shambles is the petty petty experiment officially over surely ben brown has to come back into the team el diablo 14 adds uh, with t-mac and big ben betty brown not to the level required what's the next best thing we can do with our forward line at some point maybe in the next three to four weeks we need to have a settled forward line and a defensive line too for that, that matter um I guess from a scoring perspective, there doesn't appear to be a problem with our forward line. We're the second highest scoring team, three points behind Geelong, who have two of the best forwards in the competition. Having said that, I don't think our tall forward line is just right at the moment. Uh, I, I mentioned last week that we're getting, we're not getting enough from our tall forwards pushing up the ground. Um, I, I don't like Petty as a permanent forward. I, I, I've got no problem with him swinging forward late in games or you know as a swing player. I'd prefer him down back uh, and I'd bring in Ben Brown or, or T-Mac to the side and Petty down back and I, I don't know if we're going to do that. I, I think they'll may persist with Petty. I don't know, B-Man. I, I think it, this, it, it, it's important to go back to that um, commentary from Hoyle just before about we're experimenting. Yeah. You know, we're experimenting now is the goody, you know, we won't be locking in our um, final forward line in three or four weeks. Um, we won't until, you know, probably round 18, 17, 18. And, in fact, I heard um, uh, Goody, in fact, say that in one of his recent presses, saying that, you know, that's when he'll be looking. I think he was specifically asked, at what point in the season will you want to have your favoured forward line? And he said, you know, the implication was near the end of the season. So it may not be till round 17, 18. I don't know, this is just a feeling I've got, is that I don't think um, um, Benny Brown or T-Mac are um, maybe at the fitness levels or physical preparation or what it is quite yet. Um, Benny Brown kicked three goals. Had a, I didn't see any of that game. Um, played all right by all accounts, but I've read a few things saying he looked a bit slow still. Um, so my sense is that I'm... St- you know, the three talls will is what they'll go with. Maybe that Grundy and Max both pushing forward at the same time was another part of the experimentation. Maybe it won't be needed if you've if that 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 system works. But I think ultimately they'll, um, you know, they'll look to bring one of those two talls in around. You know, by the end of the season that'll be the setup, and Petty will go back. Petty may stay up forward at the moment if they don't do. Brown, Brown in because his job is really just to compete. Um, but I agree with all of the comments that he's not a natural forward um, and he is a natural defender. Uh, and I think we've, you know, really missed him, um, missed his physicality. Um, we just talked about the defence before. You know, you mentioned that um, we haven't really had that small defender um, since um, Jets left. And I was trying to think who would be the player that uh, we're not going to be able to get him, but who would we take if we could? And it'd be, um, for me, it'd be Quainor. That's exactly the player that, um, you know, we're lacking, who's strong, small, you know, low centre of gravity, very hard to beat one-on-one. A couple of weeks ago, I'm not sure if this has changed, um, Quainor hadn't lost a one-on-one also to that point in the season. Um, he's, you know, but still can attack. He's not just a, um, a tagger. So it still provides attack off half-back flank. That's the sort of player we need. And and the only player I can think of, I mean, Howes looks a bit tall. Um, 
you know, maybe Deacon Smith um, could be a player who could fill that. He, he seems to be sort of that's the spot he's playing. But I, I, I wonder whether when Salo comes back, and I think we're really missing Salem's, um, you know, I'm a, he's an All-Australian, he's a fantastic footballer. Um, we're, we're missing his strength and um, experience. And maybe when he comes back, um, uh, McVie might be that player. He Maybe they'll move him into that small defensive role because he's a, he, he's a pretty good um, competitor as well. Uh, we have a voicemail. Um, I'll, play, I'll play right now. Good evening, Andy, George and Bin Man. It's Demonologist here. For the first time during the match against the Gold Coast and afterwards, Jacob Van Royen has begun to receive criticism on social media. It's the first time I've noticed this anyway. The comments have ranged from perhaps he's not as good as everyone thinks he is and has been saying that. Other comments were he needs to go back to Casey to work on his game. My question to you all is, in your opinion, is he really as good a player as predicted? Is he likely to be a star in the future for the Ds? And does he need to go back to the reserves to find some form? Or does he stay in the first to get the experience? And finally, has Jacob Van Royen been overhyped? Can he really reach the levels that our supporters hope for? I mean, thanks, guys, and thanks for the podcast. It's, it's no secret that key position players take longer to develop. Um, you have to remember JVR is only in his second year, which he played five or six games. Ideally, I would have liked him to have played alongside Ben Brown and T-Mac and take the third tall defender, you know, whilst he's cutting his teeth. But unfortunately, injury and form um, hasn't allowed a settled forward line. Uh, I think he has what it takes. We, we can't expect him at this stage in his career to playing like he did um, in the fourth quarter on Anzac Eve uh, every game. And I don't think the answer is going back to Casey. I think he's getting some good on-the-job experience. Uh, and, uh, you know, and particularly because Ben Brown and T-Mac can't seem to get a game in the ones at the moment. Uh, although the footy department's hand might be forced this week. Uh, B-Man, uh, thoughts on JVR? Working backwards, uh, working backwards from the last part of the question is, I mean, it's of course it's who knows what the future holds. But in my personal view, is yes, he is going to be an absolute star of the competition, and um, he reminds me so much of of one of my all time favourite players in David Schwartz. The same sort of energy and contest. Um, I actually um, missed the very first goal. I missed the first. Um, and didn't watch it to the replay, I watched the replay. So I didn't realise he kicked the first goal and that was a fantastic mark. But then after that point, I was thinking it's the sort of game that he might cop criticism for because his numbers were low, but it was a better game, I thought. I didn't know about that first goal until later. It was a better game um, than the Richmond game. Um, of course, he went nuts in the last quarter against Richmond, but his effort was fantastic and his contest was brilliant. Um, it was really interesting after the game. Track was interviewed, um, I think, on either on the ground or I'm pretty sure it was yeah, directly on the ground, and he singled out um, Van Ruin's contest. Now, maybe part of that was because he was, you know, it was in his mind and he was he was concerned that Van Ruin would be upset about that incident. Um, but, you know, it was interesting that Track really highlighted um, his competitiveness. So I thought his want and his ability to bring the ball, there was at least, you know, um, I thought George would have loved it, there was at least four aerial contests where he, you know, if it was a percentage, he was 60-40 to lose and he somehow managed to halve it and bring it to ground. Um, and, you know, if Goody was asked, that's what he would say is that that's his, his metric 
one of his key things. Um, so I thought his his effort was fantastic. There's every chance he will go back to Casey at some stage to you know give him a chop out maybe over the buy period. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's a, it is a long season for a player that they've um, who is physically gets hit a lot. You know, and the way he plays is very physical, isn't it? And as you're pointed out, he doesn't get up the ground the way um, say a T Mac does. And I suspect part of that is one, his tank's not there, but two, they want him as a power forward, um, and they don't want him using up his gas pushing up the ground. Um, I, I think he's going to be an absolute star he's a he's exactly what we've needed you know the last player of his ability and you know i think potential is um nita um and you know i see him he's for me the most talented young foot forward i've ever seen is is shorter uh, and then hogan and i put him up in that conversation um so you know i i think he's he's going to be a beauty did you like what stephen may said about him uh, at training, that he's constantly just getting them straight in the back. And, uh, and corkies. They've, they've had to tell him ease up at training and then he yeah. pulled, him, pulled him aside during one of the games, uh, the Richmond game, and he said, do what you do at training and crash, yeah. crash through packs. And you can see he does that. He's been doing that. He yeah, and the incident with Ballard was really a function of his his competitiveness, wasn't it? He was desperate to get to that ball um, and, you know, most players wouldn't have even made that a contest. Um, but, you know, even if you don't watch sport, you know, like if you don't even watch footy and you don't like it, you could see how much he wants to, you know, and he, it was the first game you ever watched a footy and watched him, you'd be able to tell how much he wants the pill. You know, he's, um, he's a, he just wants to be in the game um, and he's, you know, going to take a handful of screamers this season, let alone over his career. He almost took another huge pack mark that would have been, he had it in his hand and it just popped out. So, um, yeah, bright future for uh, him and the Dees. Lefty says, Choco must have had the week off. We could not hit the side of the barn in the last quarter. The usually reliable Bailey Fritch could have iced the game, but bad kicking let us down. I, I, I called last week. I said, you're not going to kick straight every week. And, uh, you know, our most reliable kick for goal had a shocker. That's going to happen. Um, we've improved our accuracy. We've known that. We've seen the metrics this year. It's improved out of sight. Some days, days you nail them, some days you don't. Um, I was watching Bailey before the game kicking for goal. He got every single one of them. So, um, yeah, that just it's happens. And, and they were accurate in that last quarter. They took their chances apart from the big one. That well, was, yeah. Ironically, <laughs> it was bad kicking that lost them the game. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, you, you made a point before, which is right, is that there were a number of players, as, you know, what I was saying is that I thought we our performance was terrific, but you're right, there were a number of players who were down on the night. Nibbler was down, I thought, um, and Fritter was, was down. Um, and he just never looked like he was getting into the run of the game, did he? And um, it was really interesting. I heard um, Chaplin, and all, he mentioned that um, in a clip, I think you put it up on Demonland, um, that's, uh, who was he talking about? Harmsy. He was talking about Harmsy, that uh, he was sick coming into it. Ah, so um, when you talk about this, okay, uh, as a mate, I don't know where he got it, got it from, he sent me a text and he said, um, hold on a second. Uh, yeah, apparently Fritch, Langdon, Rivers and Chandler all played six. So he did mention Harms, but... Uh, oh, Chandler, sorry. Chandler okay, was the yeah. one he So yeah. Fritch, Langdon, Rivers and Chandler. I can't confirm that. Obviously someone's confirmed Chandler. 
uh, Chaplin uh, has Well, Chaplin, Chaplin said that on a yeah. MFC interview. So there you go. There were probably a couple of other players that might have had been under the weather. Uh, for yeah, one and, another. and I mean, and it looked like that. And he emphasised, so did Goody in the presser, but in that same clip that I was talking about, Chaplin talked about how proud he was of the team. And so he also mentioned three games in 12 days. So, you know, I think that sometimes, you know, of course, we don't know what happens behind the scenes, but if four players, crook, crook guts is what he said about Chandler. There you go. Um, you know, coming into a game that I've just talked about how critical fitness is and that's going to impact your fitness, Fritter looked off, didn't he? Um, I, I'm a super surprised to hear that one of those players was Rivers because he was awesome in that last quarter. Yeah, that save. Was he the one that, d- that did that massive yeah. dive punch away? Yeah. Yeah, directly after just an enormous effort by um, Viney. And there was it was such a weird coverage of that game. It, it, like there was weird camera angles. and But he... Viney, just before that, he got to the contest, got to the ball before, um, I forget who was the uh, Suns player coming at him, um, but Viney got to it first and the, uh, the Suns player ran straight through him. It was clearly a free kick and it was kicked down the ground. Um, they got an intercept mark. The next kick was the one that Rivers spoiled. That had to be a free kick to Rivers. And, I, and half the, t- the players stopped because it looked like one of those ones that they were going to pay immediately. That that would have iced the game then and there. Um, but what was funny in that contest, and I'm not sure whether what happened, but they never had any footage of Viney being in trouble. But the fella who ran into Viney was rolling around on the ground <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> he come off second best. Uh, Royal Demon has a question for you, Bin Man. In the discussion about whether Spargo was a certain starter, you were adamant that Charlie would be selected. Were you surprised that he wasn't picked? That was uh, last week. We had that whole discussion yeah. whether Charlie and they didn't pick him. They played him <laughs> in the, too. So are you surprised? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, one of my other resolutions this season was not to be so didactic, and um, but clearly I've got rid of that one and uh, so yes I was really surprised that they didn't pick him um, again I don't think it's any indication of you know each game I put this on demon it's probably the wrong word but each game is in a referendum for our flags chances each in a home and away season there are you know the four points is an end in of itself. Um, so each time, you know, we play, you know, a better team would beat us or when we come up against the good teams or, you know, what does this mean for our flag? Where I'm going with that is that uh, you know, at the risk of contradicting myself, there's no question in my mind that Spargo's in the best 22 and he'll be in our finals side. So um, I was very surprised that they didn't pick him this week. Um, in hindsight, um, you know, there are a couple of things at play and maybe this experimenting that we're talking about that Goody's doing, but also perhaps select, selection integrity. There, There's, you know, it's a hard team to get into. Goody makes that point all the time. Others do as well. Um, maybe it's just where he figured, well, the luck was there. Um, it, you know, it'll be interesting to see whether he gets in this week. I'm not going to hazard a guess. <laughs> Well, you will yes, be asked a bit yes, later. I was very surprised. The, you will be asked about it a bit later on. Terence in the chat room says, uh, Hi, Bim Man. It was electric moments that Chaplin mentioned the illness and he was talking about Rivers. Uh, so Rivers was also uh, one of the players you. mentioned. So Chandler, so Rivers, ma- Langdon. Langdon didn't didn't really do much either, if I recall. So- if Rivers had a sick guts and um, um, maybe diarrhoea, then it'd be many Rivers run. Ah, another dad joke. I love it. <laughs> 
D for life asks, what is your view on Cozzy's treatment by the umpires? I've felt he gets a raw deal for a long time, similar to Max. Absolutely nailed two holding slash dropping the ball tackles in quarter one and quarter two, both 20 metres out from goal, umpire bounces the ball. Then second quarter gets his head ripped off. Callers said he ducked and then backed off. Only got to see the first quarter and a half and half of the second, but he should have got two to three goals from freeze at that stage. He gets harsh, harsh treatment from what I notice. Love your work, gentlemen. Uh, being at the game, I didn't obviously hear the commentary, but I, I thought Cozzy was a little bit stiff uh, on a few occasions. I don't know if he is being treated unfairly by the umpires, but I know that the umpires are quick to not pay freeze if they suspect that a player's ducking, um, and they might have thought that for that particular one, big man. Is Cozzy treated harshly? He was treated super harshly. And uh, speaking of resolutions, as I said a couple of weeks ago, my <laughs> resolution not to get too annoyed with the umpires or the commentators was the other one. I Both of those resolutions were dropped in this game because it was appalling the umpire and the commentary was worse. He he, There was one of them, and I think it was, is it long for them, who took him on. 20 metres out directly from goal, um, absolutely took him on. A textbook dropping the ball, um, fantastic forward um, half pressure, absolutely should have been rewarded. And um, I think there is a, an element of a player like Cozzy, Oliver copped it as well, is that when they're mouthy, like he's, you know, um, early in his career, I mean, he's still early in his career, but, you know, I think he he gets a raw deal with the umpires, a bit like Ollie did for a while because Ollie's demonstrative. And um, um, so I think that that can balance out after a while and maybe not be such an issue. What I would say is that I had the thought during the game and, again, when I watched the replay, is I really liked how disciplined um, Cozzy was because there were two, that particular one with Long in particular, and there was another one where he should have got dropping the ball as well. He didn't remonstrate at all. Like, he didn't react. He didn't put his hand up. He didn't look disappointed. Um, And for me, that was something that I wanted to touch on tonight uh, as well is how disciplined we were in that match um and in particular it really struck me how disciplined he was you know he stopped that business for instance of giving away the um free kick after the players kicked the ball he hasn't given one away i don't reckon hardly any last year and i can't remember one this season um you know he gave away six seven of them in his first season um but both of those times particularly the long one i was really really impressed that he didn't get jacked up about it because um he deserved to get a free. Uh, have we t- talked about Cozzy re-signing? Had he re-signed last week? Uh, yeah, yeah. Just, uh, so we didn't, uh, not in detail, but yeah, we talked to George about it. Remember, George? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah we did. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, AF says, uh, I know this might be a little difficult to discuss in podcast format. However, it would be good to get the panel's thoughts on our zone. In my view, we can no longer go forward with the 2021-2022 zone as the opposition chip game is the way through it. I believe we have to do what occurred for at least a little while in the second quarter against Richmond, where we played one, one-on-one uh, for 20 or 30 minutes uh, from half forward defending a stationary ball uh, situation out of Richmond's back half. Uh, we then played a zone behind it. It means we get the game looking like the way we want it because the opposition cannot pick off the short kicks and have to go long to our interceptors. Um, a big man I told AF in the podcast thread on Demoland that's right up your alley. What's your thoughts? Have we discussed this enough tonight, sort of? Yeah, I mean, just really briefly what I'd say is that we're still going to always use a version of zones. All teams are. Like, no one's going to go to a pure one-on-one defensive system. It's just, But it's a new 
defensive zone that um, has to deal with the ball moving quickly down the field. And and I think with that, what's critical in footy now is even if you can slow that ball movement a bit, even a little bit, that helps um, players get back into zone. But if you look when you're at the footy, um, you know, it's one of the great things about watching the game at the footy is we still keep our defender deep um, when the ball goes up the ground. But Collingwood, for instance, and the Roos are clearly, North Melbourne are clearly copying Collingwood's defensive system. Their back um, defender, their last defender in the line um, is really high. They push up really high. So, um, you know, th- that's a form of, of zone. And we'll always, I think, have that goalkeeper role, that deep that deep player who can get back. So, you know, definitely not definitely a different setup than 21-22, but that's because the game's looking different. Buck Neckard says uh, there's been a lot of chat on Demonland about where we are at in the scheme of things based upon this game and some trends. Uh, smashed in the clearances and stats that seem to matter to us. Forward line mix is still up in the air. Back line seems to be struggling. What do you guys think? What do you guys think of where we are at? Uh, what is our biggest area of concern from your perspectives? And I guess for mine, uh, all the areas that you mentioned, um, Barknecker, uh, are a concern for me. But yes, we're six and two and we have a healthy percentage, but I, I, we haven't exactly had a tough draw today with the exception of the Bulldogs who weren't exactly firing in the first few weeks of the season. We haven't played or beaten a top eight team. Our other wins are Sydney, 11th, Gold Coast, 14th, Richmond, 15th, North, 16th, West Coast, 17th. We play the Hawks, or 18th, this week. Our real test will be in the next few weeks after going into the, uh, and after that, going into the bye, uh, with Port, 5th, Freo, 12th, Carlton, 8th, and the Pies, 1st. And I think we'll get a better picture then, and hopefully we'll have a settled forward and back line by then. Uh, B-Man, where do you think we're currently at, and what's your biggest area of concern? If you have any, because uh, I, mean, I don't think I'd you do. Probably, well, I mean, uh, well, I definitely have some sort of areas of concern, which is that small defender. I mean, it's it's where we give up goals. Is that medium player is, you know, they become so important in footy. Um, that that sort of medium tall that um, gets you know we've got to win more ground balls um, in our um, defensive area. We we get cut up in that area. We can, you know, struggle with that. So that would be. It's not an easy fix, so maybe, as I said, when Salo comes back, that'll free up um, the Judds to, to be able to play that role or um, maybe Deacon Smith at the back end of the season, although that's probably pretty unlikely. You know, where we're at, I think, you know, I think, as I've said, I think we're in really good shape. Um, it's a bit of a concern, I think, I'm concerned about T-Max fitness. I'm concerned that um, BB's, um, Benny Brown's also maybe not fit in the way, you know, I think it's more of a preparation issue. Both of them, I mean, Liz Frank for T-Mac and Degenerate, it's a knee thing, isn't it, for Ben Brown, who's going to have that for the rest of his career. So I think they're managing those players. Um, You know, I I think we're in really, really good shape. I think, you know, for me, it's Melbourne. Um, if, if I was seeding, doing a seeding, I'd have Melbourne on top, Brisbane second, Geelong third, and, and, and Collingwood fourth. You really don't like Collingwood. I don't like Collingwood, <laughs> no, but I just think they're overrated. And the numbers, the numbers, I mean, I know they're on top of the ladder, but, you know, they the last three weeks, they've struggled, struggled to score because teams are working them out. They're, they're, they're hammering um, Dacos, which we will, and they're stopping that the ball into the corridor. They're just taking that away from um, Collingwood altogether, and they they can barely score at the moment. 
We have another caller on the line. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Who am I talking to? Yeah, hello. This is uh, Enzo. How are you guys going? Uh, good, thanks, Enzo. Uh, w- uh, what can we do for you? Oh, I just wanted to make some observations about uh, how we're playing this year, uh, about the competition sure, and all of that. Um, well, I think, uh, you know, we're, like Collingwood beats teams like in the last second, right? And everybody applauds how great they are and they say, oh, they've got no deficiencies, that team. They've got no weaknesses. They're just such a great side. But then when Melbourne, uh, when we win by five points, uh, just win by games, it's the end of the world and we can't, we can't play well and the opposition beat us and you know, we're, we're, no, we're not as good as Collingwood. It's such a, you know, such a strange contrast that when they win the close ones, they're the greatest team ever. And when Melbourne wins close ones, it's, they should have lost that one. Like even this game with the Gold Coast, like people on, you know, at AFL All Axis area going, oh, you know, uh, Skull Coast should have won that game. Well, that's total bull because if Bailey kicked like he normally kicks, we win by four goals and it's not even close in that last quarter because two goals, six. And Bailey Fritz, obviously, he was thinking about the record in his brain, you know, the 35 games in a row. And that was obviously weighing on his mind or something was weighing on his mind because those shots he missed were just like, like he just didn't want to kick him or something. Maybe that might be a good thing because um, now he's not going to think about that uh, streak, you know, keeping the streak going. So he might not have as much pressure on that. And, um, the way Melbourne's playing, I think last year we can all agree that Melbourne got too uh, predictable, did they not? They got very predictable, and by the end of the season, everybody worked this out. Now, I think what Goody's purposely doing is he's experimenting. Like last year, he didn't experiment, just had the same game plan, he didn't change it. And he's purposely playing totally different right now to the way we're going to play at the end of the year. Uh, I reckon. Um, the reason why Brown is not in the side at the moment is not because he doesn't think he's good enough. He just he had that back injury, so I think as soon as Brown gets back to 100% fitness, he's straight back in the side. And uh, I think the selection of this game was a bit wrong. I think maybe Brown might have been able to come in this week, and Penny should have went back because the Gold Coast had three big forwards, but we didn't have really big three three big um, backmen to um, counteract that, so they stretched us. So maybe he thinks that Brown wasn't right. And um, also, I think while the inconsistent is, we're running way more players through the middle. So the last couple of years, you know, Viney, Track, and Oliver pretty much took 80% of the um, bounces together, centre bounces together, the clearances, and we we're one of the top sides in that area. So we're running more players through that because I think uh, the whole thing Goody is trying to do is make the whole team unpredictable and... Uh, he doesn't want the opposition to know how we're going to play our proper game until, it, like, even in 21. People think of this great, the side was so great in 21, but everybody's going to remember that Melbourne didn't have a huge, didn't beat anybody by more than 10 goals until they beat the Gold Coast by 98 points. Before, by then, Melbourne were only winning by 30, 40 points every, every week. And um, the side got settled, the four line got settled right at the end. And I think Goody's sort of like trying to get that again. So not let everybody know what we're going to do until... And then when it comes to the finals, uh, it's going to change it all. And with Collingwood, really, I think they're fit. But I reckon the reason why they're running at last quarter so well is because 
I reckon they conserve their energy for at least half of the game. That's why you always see them fall behind in third quarters. I reckon they're pretty much resting that third quarter and playing slower so they can reserve their energies for the last quarter. Because um, I think that was a mistake that Melbourne played last year. I don't know whether it was a fitness, but we were too uh, too fast in the beginning in the first half of games, and so in the second half we had no petrol left. And I think we learned from Collingwood is you know there's no point playing your best footy in the first half. You've got to play it in the third and fourth quarters, and that's the way games are going to be won. So it's going to be really good, the Queen's birthday. So that's my observation why, um, why we're inconsistent and, uh, and all that. We're just, what we're, like they said, there's no point being perfect, and we're not going to settle on our best team until, until it really matters. And that's, uh, that's it. Thanks for that, Enzo Binman. You wanted to respond? Yeah, fantastic points, Enzo. I agree with uh, with all of it. Um, you know, it'd be good. Maybe the Collingwood thing. My angst is that you know you can't turn on a footy show at the moment without them talking about Collingwood, which is okay, and it's good that we're off Broadway. But I, you know, I wouldn't mind some some time and energy spent on analysing Melbourne, other than you know criticising us. And this week will be you know the only discussion about Melbourne this week will be about Van Ruin. Um, but you know the point Enzo's making is a really good one about us coming back we came back from richmond twice 25 points down um you know twice we were 25 points down and still got up in that game we did win this game um we fought it out right to the end as i said our pressure rating was enormous almost at the elite level in that last quarter that's that's huge i can't no one's talking about that. Um, so, you know, I think that, um, yeah, I agree. And so particularly around the fact that I think that Goody's really, as I said before, leaning into experimenting and changing things up and keeping things fresh. But the other thing that I think um, Enzo makes a really excellent point is the the um, midfield. He, you know, we really have been rolling, um, di- you know, different players through there and different looks. And, um, um, you know, I think that Goody will solidify some of these systems defensively and offensively, but probably not till closer to the end of the season. Doug Reamer writes the following. I'll, I'll make a statement about our year so far and the media bias that is working to our favour. I think we are slipping under the radar again like we did in 2021. Of the eight rounds played so far, we've been to Queensland twice and Perth once as well as the gather round, which was off the back of a trip to Perth. We dismantled Sydney at full strength without Ben Brown and Max Gorn by 50 points, made a mockery of North, who the Saints struggled against this week, went to beat the Suns, who both the Cats and Pies lost to up there, but that's he later wrote that he was wrong, the Pies lost to the Lions. And after losing Max, almost pegged back a 40-point lead against the Lions. Say what you will, it's in the book. Uh, Yet all the hype is about Collingwood's high-scoring, never-say-die attitude. The fact that the Pies keep sides in the games for too long for me is a weakness. And if you take your chances, uh, you can snuff them out and keep them down. I think all you need is a strong backline and a wise midfield to stop them in the last quarter. For our, four of our next six are at the MCG with one at Geelong. Port will be tough and Carlton have been figured out and King's birthday is potentially a grand final preview. In my opinion, uh, regardless of whether Van Royen gets off or is suspended, I think we can expect to see Ben Brown come back in this week and they'll persist with Petty up forward for one more week. If Van Royen doesn't get off, my smokey would be Joel Smith and Brown to come back into the side. Uh, thoughts on our forward structure for the next month. Can you see a smoky like Seston getting a look in? Also, Harms looks like he's the next mid into the side. Sorry, I feel like Chris from Camberwell here. Peace, Fogman off the iTunes review. So thank you, Doug Rima, and 
as Vogman for your nice five-star review last week. Um, I think he's talked about a lot of the stuff he talked about. Yeah, uh, and Rick I, and I so. agree with every again. Yeah. I agree with Enzo, <laughs> and I agree totally with Fogman slash Doug Reamer. Absolutely. All right, Singer asks, how awful was the Fox commentary for this game? Outright barracking for the Suns to get over the line, not to mention every suspect non-free for the Suns was dissected frame by frame multiple times, but any non-free to the Ds was blatantly ignored. Um, B-Man, I was at the game, so I, I wasn't troubled by the bias commentary in this game. I will say that I have noticed a lot of barracking from the commentary box for many non-Demons games this year. Um in particular, the Essendon Port game, they were trying to will Essendon over the line, and we all know BT's uh, penchant for for barracking for the pies. So, uh, how did you find the commentary this week? You've touched on it that you thought it was terrible. So, I, as I said, it's like just it, I really tried, and I've largely succeeded this year. I'm not getting wound up by by the commentators, um, but it was appalling. Like for number, the first thing is why do they need so many? people talking like because it's commentary (laughs) no like they're having a conversation it's not commentary commentary is here's what is happening before you know we this is what is interesting about this game they're just basically four blokes having a conversation um and you know a lot of the uh, to be honest, I thought I was f- infuriated by um, the the way that they were rabbiting on about Van Ruin. Um, you know, they were basically uh, when that Ballard thing. Oh, they were really having a shot at him, and you know, I forget that some of the phrases. One was, you know, Dwayne talking. Uh, I forget exactly what he said, but the implication was it was sort of thuggish. And that whole ten minutes or whatever, six or seven minutes, it was you know. 30 replays of the incident, close-ups of Van Ruin, you know, they're trying to make this narrative out of the drama of it all. They turned the effect mics up. Like Channel 7 was like someone on Acid Flashbacks was in control of the production because they turn up the effects mic and if you listen to the replay, someone yells out, you know, you're an animal into the about Van Ruin. So they've got all of this white noise in the background and, um, you know, I thought the commentary was rubbish. And the other were really, and also the actual coverage, the other thing that was driving me nuts is the... the um, camera shots were on the ball you could not there were about six or seven contests where you had no idea whether it was going to be a melbourne player coming at the ball with the person with the ball or there was no one in front of them so it was and then there was this weird series of free kicks there was i mean you're at the ground had what was the ben king one i didn't even show the replay of it did you see that the one at the third quarter the end of the third quarter where he got a free kick. I, oh, no I don't even know what, what I don't know what it was for. All of a sudden, the whistle goes. I don't think the player. I don't think Ben but, King knew what it was that it was his. Uh, it might have been the previous. It was one of yeah. them that they didn't even show. That I think it was the one previous. Mm. Is that there was no indication what the free kick was for, and instead mm. of showing a replay, it was on Fox, so they don't they don't go to the ad like they would on um, um, Seven. I mean, I know that the KO or Fox they they run it through but in the in the gap between the goal where they should have been showing the replay of what the incident was why how we were gift you know taking a goal off us they instead showed footage of um king's 12 um shots without missing like i don't oh, really they did that on they did that on the scoreboard that was on the scoreboard right well that was on the coverage wow you know, i would have preferred to see what the free <laughs> kick was paid for um and they didn't the commentators didn't even say what the free kick was which is their job 
is to tell the viewers what is happening, not to have their bloody back and forth chat. So it, it, it was appalling. It's a real failed experiment as a team, and I'm not talking about the, the team that plays. I'm talking about the having a team up there. There were 11,000 people there. It was probably 55, 45 in favour of them um, based on, you know, when a goal was kicked. There were quite a number of Ds. Like everywhere I looked before the game, I thought it was going to be 60, 40 Ds. There were that many Ds people at, at, there and about. And I guess even the Suns people, they don't even wear you know, a sun scarf or a hat, you can't tell who it is. Uh, I think it's just a failed experiment as a team, as a club, as a club, not the players who play. And, and I really hope, I really like the Suns as a footy club. The the whole AFL is invested in it. Um, it's We've gone too far down that track. No, we it's need, not going to disappear. The, the, the competition needs them to be successful. Um, and, you know, they play a good brand of footy to get people there. They missed, they really well, then, did miss Tukmuller, didn't they? And, they? and they miss a bit of class. At the end of the day, the other thing about this game is forget system, forget fitness, forget those things, is the class of players um, um, really shone out. I mean, that goal from track, where I don't know where you were sitting, but that that was just... The, the bending, the one... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The time right, of it. I was, I was right behind won it. us the game. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so Viney was enormous in that last quarter. Um, Oliver was enormous in that last quarter. I mean, the other interesting thing about, you know, the commentary was, again, it's like King just cherry-picks stats all the way through. He's getting fed into his mic or he's got it on his um, laptop in front of him. And then he, he nonsense like, um, you know, that we were humbled. I mean, that's it's ridiculous. And, and as I said, not supported by their own... Data, but the other one was the um, influence of Oliver. I don't think that they nearly, um, you know, gave Oliver the credit for his game. He, you know, he had nine score involvements more than anyone else on the on the ground. But you know, I didn't hear one commentator mention that. So you know, hugely influential on the result. Um, and you know, he he's a machine that um, you know maybe the best contested ball winner I've ever seen play, maybe of all time, certainly at Melbourne. Um, you know, he, he was awesome in that game and, you know, he won, I think he was two off our most contested ball despite, you know, 28, I think he 28 possessions he finished with, didn't he? Mm. So, you know, but nine score involvements for a player, they, they should have been focusing on that. I think the next was seven with, um, you know, so, uh, uh, so he had the most score involvements on the ground, but you wouldn't know that watching the commentary. El Diablo wants us to please discuss the farce that the MRO is. I think the club should publicly expose the MRO and their biases and then in brackets, Crips debacle. And we all know that consistency has never been a strong suit of the MRO. It seems that week to week, case to case, the goalposts are constantly being shifted. Um, I think maybe the two weeks is a bit harsh. He, he wasn't intentionally striking the jaw and players that have done that in the past have received less and I think... We are, we are appealing. Um, that was announced today and I'm not sure he will get off. Um, I think the best we can hope for is maybe a reduced sentence. Uh, is that a possibility or is it just a – can you get reduced sentences or is this an either gets off or stays? Uh, it depends on that. I think – I'm not sure. I, I think you can get a reduced sentence, probably not from the fixed, only if it was higher, I would suspect. I mean, I've got no issue with the MRO, and it's good that we've appealed it. Um, I mean, it's not Christian's um, fault, is it? Like, it's the, you know, he's got the system, so it's not the MRO in of itself. It's the scoring system. That's the, the issue. Um, but for me, the thing about Rui's um, 
is that they'll go. He'll get off, hopefully, um, because he didn't hit him in the head. And and what you know, and he wasn't concussed either. So that's in his favour, isn't it? Well, totally. I mean, the thing is that not only I mean, my take on it was that Ruin um, Van Ruin could have ruined him. He could have gone straight through him. But he, he actually, if you watch the replay, he he appeared to take care, in my view, to not actually get him in the head. He lifts his arm. If you watch it, he lifts his arm up right at the last second so he doesn't clip him in the head. And you know, it, if if I'm right in saying that, you know, what players are supposed to be doing is um, showing a duty of care um, to their opponent, accept the risk uh, if someone's hurt, um, and particularly if they're concussed, and if that happens, they'll they'll face a penalty. Well, he was Ballard wasn't injured. He apparently is fine. He's going to play next week. He wasn't concussed. Um, he he grabbed his head, but he'd already been hit in the head. So perhaps that was a factor because he had um, clipped him with his knee. Um, you know, so in contrary to the pathetic jump-to-conclusion commentary of Dunstall and Dwayne. He didn't hit him in the head, as I said, and Ballard's head didn't hit the ground either. Um, he's got a sore neck. Um, the, you know, that was the concern on the ground. You could see it, and I don't know why the commentators weren't saying it. You could see that their worry was the neck, and that's why they took so much care, and totally appropriately. Um, but, you know, imagine how different the whole thing would have been if he'd just got up under his own steam and walked off. Um, so, you know, he's not injured. He didn't get hit in the head, um, so hopefully he'll get off. Uh, Casey, the Casey Demons got sunburned on the Gold Coast but were by no means disgraced despite losing their second match in three weeks, this time to ladder leaders, the Suns. Their cause was not helped by injuries to midfield playmaker Luke Dunstan, who accumulated 46 disposals in a game a fortnight ago, and key forward Tom McDonald, who hurt his ankle at training as well as Melbourne's decision to rest uh, Michael Hibbard, which meant that Daniel Turner, Turner was co-opted into the big time for his second game and it need not be stated, but Jimmy Munro's heavy ta- tackling work is very much missed at the moment. The Suns had the answer for everything that Casey threw at them and finally cut through one of the strongest defences in the competition to finish with a 20-point win to retain top spot on the ladder. Ben Brown kicked three goals, Joel Smith kicked two, Charlie Spargo had 22 disposals, Blake House continues to rack up disposals off half-back with 23. Bailey, Laurie and Tajwo Woden got plenty of the ball as well. Filling in a key defensive role in place of Disco Turner, Demon rookie Jed Adams played one of his best games. So we'll move on for that because neither of us saw the game. Um, Just uh, tra- a question, Andy. Yeah. So did you say that Hibbo was rest? Like, what did Hibbo That was according for? to Casey from Casey. Um, so I don't know. I mean, he's had the Achilles and calf and whatever, so I don't know if it pulled up sore or... Right. They just thought they'd rest him. I don't know. Maybe they always were going to rest him. I don't know. And it's we just, interesting maybe because we were if foxing they... with the, uh, we were going to play three tools in the defence. I don't know. Well, Disco wasn't one of the emergency though, was he? Or was he? He was one emergency? of the four emergencies. He was yes. one of them. Okay. Right. Um, we had a training report. Demoland track watcher Kev Martin ventured out to Gosh's paddock for today's training session and he had the following uh, to report. Light duties, Frida, Rivers, Tomlinson, Wowie, Kay Turner and Varel. Uh, Salem, T-Mac, Chandler and Hibbo were all full training. Uh, Big Benny Brown, Tomlinson, Fritter and Rivers uh, then joined the main group after the warm-ups. Uh, Lily Mithun, uh, Megan Fitzsimmons and uh, Eliza, Eliza McNamara of the AFLW joined in some of the drills, all under the guidance of Choco Williams. Uh, Fritter then left the main group, a uh, training group, to practice his goal kicking, and so he should. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, the team then split into three squads for a handball game, a soccer game, and skills training with Choco. 
Dunstan was in the rehab group uh, with his right calf. Big Benny Brown and Tomlinson left early when the others started running harder. Uh, then it was a full squad drill, which consisted of short passes in a pocket that ends up on a corner of the 50, then the kick and run around to the points of the square, which finishes with a lead to the forward area and a kick on goal, all rotated through the ground. This was uh, th- That was it, just a 35-minute session. A few of them finished with some goal-kicking track, Oliver Cozzi, uh, Jay Smith, Farris White, Grundy, Bowie and the women. Uh, Viney was ball-handling with a trainer. May, Lever, Hibbo and Petty were having a chat. I asked Kev whether it was a brainstorming session or just a casual chat, and he said it looked like a brainstorming session of more than five minutes and Petty was into it. I'd say Petty is working out of the back line or at least the swing man. So that's the training with Kev report. Might need a uh, stinger for that one. Um, <laughs> Quality reports, so I have to say it's fantastic. That sort of insight as well. He was well ahead of the curve of Petty moving forward, which he'd flagged in yep. the week and then reinforced from the captain's run. And now we're hearing it. Petty's going back. So we'll, well, you know. we'll see. They just had a chat. So we <laughs> yeah. don't know. Maybe, that, well, maybe, maybe while the others were having goal kicking, the defenders were just. Uh, Having a having a casual conversation, but hopefully it was a brainstorming session. Uh, let's get into changes at this stage. The fate of Jacob Van Ruyen's appeal of his two match suspension is unknown, so we'll go on the assumption that he won't be playing this week. Uh, ben Brown's kicked the three goals at Casey. Spargo played well in the twos. T Mac and Hibbard were in full training, as we just heard. Uh, and B Man, before you answer that question of who comes in and who goes out, uh, we have uh, uh, we've got a call. I'll. I'll, I'll I'll read Dio Fart, what Dio Fart said. He said, Spargo was among our best for Casey and I think we missed his delivery inside 50 and probably his forward 50 pressures as well. Uh, do the panel agree? If so, and he comes in, who goes out? In my opinion, both JJ and Chin have earned another week. Uh, and we'll just, we've got a caller. One sec. G'day, this is Engie from Noosa, long-time listener, first-time caller ringing to say guys are doing an amazing job for all us Melbourne supporters out there. Um, I was just reading the Courier Mail this morning in the obituaries and I saw um, it was rest in peace the petty experiment. Um, just wondering what, your, what you guys think is our next move forward if Van Royen isn't out and we win the appeal. is big Benny Brown back in the team this weekend, and you won't like this. My bit, second bit question man. is Nibbler. I know he's a role player. Oh. I just wish his role was in AFL football. Sometimes <laughs> I told you, um, you wouldn't like it. Considering Spargo can't get back in the team, would you think those two could be a like-for-like swap this coming Saturday? Andy, it was great seeing you at Metricon or whatever it's called these days on. Saturday Twilight game and yeah, guys, keep up the great work. Love your work. Bye. I do know Engie, but don't hold his views of Nibbler against me. <laughs> That's not coming from uh, me, and I know you're not going to agree with that, and, and neither do I. So uh, yeah, uh, I tell you, I'm, I am grumpy tonight, aren't I? But it's <laughs> the, I well, I won't say there's zero chance of Nibbler getting dropped, but there is zero chance <laughs> of Nibbler getting dropped this week. No chance, unless he's managed and rested. And, um, um, you know, Spargo may not come back in. It depends what the reason was for um, not selecting him. So, um, you know, we know Goody doesn't like changing teams that win. That's been a consistent thing for him. So that anyone in a winning team, um, you know, earns their, their keep. Um 
who would come out of that team if Spargo comes in? That's a, it's a good question. I think the sub is the thing that could be used. I'd bring, um, uh, I'd probably put JJ back as a sub and bring Spargo in. I, I agree with DL Fard. I think we did miss Spargo's um, defensive um, pressure up forward, but you know, also um, he he's an excellent field kick. And yeah, the delivery into the forward fifty. Yeah, well, and also just in general, um, um, general play, and you know, as much as Harms when he came in actually provided good energy, he, he's not a great kick, um, and you really notice in footy now, don't you, how you know, like how important good kicking, and you know, credit to Collingwood for for driving that. It's so critical to be able to. You know, not turn the ball over. It's you know, it's always been critical. But if you're going to take the ball through the midfield and be aggressive, um, if you know, penalty for missing a target now is you're going to give up a goal when you when you're um, aggressive. That's that risk reward stuff. So, you know, a huge premium on quality kicks, and Spago's a, a quality kick. So, you know, there's a good chance he won't come back in this week purely because um, Goody's going to be. You know, I. As we've talked about in experimenting and still looking at different makeups, I think he is looking. The other benefit is to make sure players can get a crack at it this year. It's something that he was criticised a lot for last year, um, and and you know perhaps with good reason of not bringing in some of those players from Casey. But he is this year, so maybe there's um, you know that's part of it. I'd say Turner comes out, um, but you know, and Pe- I really do think um, I'd, I want to see Petty go back to defence. Um, Hawthorne are a different challenge for us, um, you know, but um, not perhaps the challenge, or well, certainly not the challenge that the Suns were. Um, they won't take it lightly, of course. So, um, you know, that their their main sort of strength, their one wood is their their pace of the ball movement. They're moving it super quick. They are also a team pushing up super high um, with the Collingwood style defence. So, um, you know, it'd be good to have. Uh, I think. The th- you know, err towards pace is what we probably need if they're going to look at selection. So, you know, there's every chance there'll be no change this week, I think. Um, ben Brown, I, I don't know. It depends really where his fitness is at. Um, I wouldn't be totally shocked if they keep him for the Port game. Well, then who, who replaces Van Royen? The Casey have got to buy this week, haven't they? Yes, they do. Yeah, right. So that makes things difficult. So uh, who replaces Ben Ruin? Well, let's say Ben Brown is fit, then he hopefully he comes in. Um you know, T Mac won't obviously off off an injury. I guess um, it's a real pain in the neck, isn't it? The the case you've got to buy. Yeah, it also means T Mac misses two games in a row. Yeah, and probably won't go then to Port. So then that's mm. another one. And then we we've got the buy after that, haven't we? Is no, it the week. Uh, no, no, we've no, got sorry, the buy yeah, after sorry, Collingwood. Right. We've got yeah, the after number. Collingwood. So four, just four on that games. run after the Port game. So we've had this run of interstate games, but after the Port game, the next time we play interstate is the round sixteen game, which is ironically a home game, but it's when we go to Traeger Park. Mm. So you know it's huge. That's why partly why this win was so big because you know we're favourites um, to win next week. That means we go into the Port game um, eight, um, hopefully eight and two. Um, and then that's the last travel we do till you know that round sixteen is in the middle of July. Or yeah, it'll be July. seven and seven and two. So seven and two, yeah, no, but yeah, coming in, sorry, coming into, yeah, that's right, yeah. coming into the um, Port game seven and two, with getting our travel out of the way, we don't travel again for another six rounds. That's incredible. We stay in Melbourne, so it was huge um, in terms of just getting that four points, leaving aside the discussion of the game. The four points is really, really important. 
Well, before you bank the win against uh, Hawthorne, um, let's do a preview of it uh, quickly. Uh, the Hawks are neck and neck with the Eagles and giving them a good run for their money to secure the coveted number one pick in the draft with only the one win against fellow bottom three side North Melbourne. They've had some close uh, losses against GWS and Adelaide, but still have an average losing margin of 55 points. On paper, this should be a walk in the park for the Demons, but in the past we've had we've sometimes struggled against weaker opponents. In round seven last season, we got out of jail again uh, against them by 10 points. <laughs> I'm sure you'll disagree with that. Uh, B-Man, is there any chance that the Mitchell will once again have the answers to break us down, cause an upset that could cost them bottom spot? Uh, yes, there's a chance. Um, I mean, I think they're... Like they're in that position where they can each game is a free hit, isn't it? And so they're you know they can attack when they get on a roll. You know they move the ball super well. Their midfield numbers are really strong, actually. Um, you know they've they they've got Lewis back up forward. Um, so the answer if we're if we bring our intent, if we bring it, if we play as well as we did in this game, um, and we don't have four players out, you know, who are sick coming into it, um, and we bring the right in of, you know, there's no way we lose this game. But if we're a little bit off, we don't bring that 180 pressure level throughout the whole match. Um, if we don't do the running, you know, that we need to do to to um, to protect against the ball moving up towards us. They've got the capacity to score quickly and they'll look definitely to stretch our defence. I think they'll really look to switch corridors and to isolate, um, in particular, Steve May, who still looks like he's labouring a bit to my eye. You know, he's still... He, I thought he played it right, um, actually. Um, he kept... He, he killed King. You know, King got two goals from free kicks and, it, um, you know, they were talking about how well... That was another thing that really annoyed me with the commentary, talking about how well King was playing by dragging May away from the contest, but, you know, pretty high-paid decoy, if you ask me. So I, I thought May had a pretty good game, but he still looks like he's struggling to get down to those ground balls. So uh, Another thing that um, uh, Kev said about uh, training was that he said May was moving really well. So Great. Great. So maybe, you know... Um, um, you know, he, he's a big factor. They'll look to isolate those tools. I, I'm hoping Paddy goes back. Um, you know, they're defensively, this is the one to do it because they're not going to be able to stretch us up forward the way even, the, you know, the Suns look to do it. Um, yeah, so, you know, hopefully um, we go in switched on and if we do, you know, if we, we go in switched on, there's, we won't lose, but there's always a chance if we do and, and they get really attacking and take all their chances, then, you know, a boil over is possible. Uh, well, I think we'll leave it there for tonight. We'll be back next week on Monday night at 8.30pm. If you want to listen to the show live, then please join us at demonland.com on Monday at 8.30pm. Also, don't forget to check out our half an hour interview with two-time All-Australian and Premiership defender Stephen May. You'll find it uh, above uh, this or before this show you're listening to. Uh, thank you to our five-star reviewers, Witch's Hat, Rhino88, uh, Good Loden, uh, Mary and Julian, Mikey and Noah. Thank you to our voicemailer, voicemailers, demonologist and Engie. Thank you to our callers, uh, Redleg23 and Enzo. Thank you to uh, our Demonland posters who submitted questions this week. Uh, thank you to Mandy Lorian, Lazy, Bigfoot, Radelaide, Ross Millen, Red Jacket, El Diablo 14, Lefty, Royal Demon, D for Life, AF, Buck Naked, Singer, D Old Fart and Kev Martin uh, for his training report. Also, Doug Rema did as well. Thank you to my co-hosts, uh, Binman, uh, and thank you to our loyal listeners. And don't forget to leave us that five-star review and comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll read it out on the next show. See you next week. Go Demons.
Gorilla Gaz.